0: Everybody say, back to, "Back to school. That's what we've done. Professor James is going to school us once again from the Book of James. Would you open your Bible, please, to James chapter three? And that's what we've done recently is we've gone back to school. Here's the deal. God doesn't want you to stay in kindergarten Christianity. He wants you to grow up to maturity, and that's what the Book of James is about: practical reality, about how to live this thing we call Christianity. It was October, 1999 there was this little bitty church just struggling to survive and they had a cop preaching on the weekends. And it was a time in my life that honestly, I was seeking God's direction in my life, not sure what God was doing. Is he calling me to ministry? Is he not calling me to ministry? Is he calling me to pastor this little church that was then called Liberty? And honestly, it didn't make any sense that I would. I mean, I'd barely started seminary, I had no training, had no experience in ministry, didn't make any sense on paper. But I couldn't shake what God was doing in my life. I mean, I really felt like this was what God was leading me to do. So I talked to two or three pastors that I knew, and uh, I told them my story, told them what God was doing. Uh, do you think I ought to go for it? And uh, like all of them looked at me like I'd just grown a third eyeball. Like, are you serious? No. I mean, you shouldn't do that. I mean, you're not ready, and that church isn't healthy. And... But here's the deal. I couldn't shake it. And so we were having a missions conference that fall, it had been scheduled months and months ago. Even though things weren't normal, we were trying to carry on like normal and had missionary coming in and, and uh, missionaries from all over the world. One of them I met, missionary from the Philippines, and I was kinda of telling him what God was doing in my life and not sure what to do, and he said, Well, hey, why don't I introduce you to my pastor? And let you bounce it off of him and see what he says. And his pastor happened to be a guy named Bob Bear who's still pastoring a church north of the river today, Antioch Bible Baptist Church in Gladstone, Missouri. So Bob drove down, and I met him over here in the Perkins on 291, right here. And uh, I bounced it off of him. I told him the story. This is what God is doing. It doesn't make any sense that he'd be calling me. And then I asked him, what do you think? And I'll never forget His words. Because it was a moment in time that would make a difference forever in eternity. He looked at me and said, I think you ought to go for it. I was like, seriously? (laughs) Really? He said, yeah, I think you ought to go for it. Do you think I can do this? He said, yeah, I think you can do this. Now here's what I want you to see. When we talk about the power of the spoken word, I'm convinced today in some way it could be argued that I'm here today because of those words that Bob Bear spoke into my life many years ago. Had he said, no, I don't think this is a good idea. At the time, I looked up to him as a tenured, seasoned man in ministry. I'm not sure I'd be here today. had he not spoke those words into my life. As a matter of fact, it could be argued that abundant life wouldn't be here today had he not spoke those words into my life. It might be argued that none of us would be here today. Was it not for those words, I think you ought to go for it. And I want you to see that that is the power of your words. That is the power of the tongue. Your tongue has the power to define someone's destiny. Your tongue has the power to change your life's trajectory. And that's what Professor James is going to talk to us today as we go to our curriculum once again, the Word of God, the book of James. James is going to teach us that the tongue is small in size, but it is mighty in power. I mean, that little muscle inside your mouth is the most powerful muscle on your body. Now, we've got kind of a workout church, and a lot of you work out, and we've got even some bodybuilders that compete, you know, in bodybuilding. And uh, I want you to see that, that, that for the size of one's biceps, I mean, as much as you can bench press, there is no muscle in your body that's as strong as this one that you hold between your teeth. And we're going to see that it has the power to define people's destiny. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Pick it up with me in James 3, verse 1. You ready for this? Say amen. All right, here we go. My brethren, he says, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. I'm just going to pause here and let you know. This is one of the verses, honestly, that I keep in front of my life at all times. You know what he's saying here? He's saying, hey, be careful. Those of you that say you want to teach the Word of God or preach the Word of God, be careful. You might get what you asked for. Because what James is saying here is we will receive the stricter judgment. I will receive one day a stricter judgment than most of you, having preached the word of God to the people of God. That's why I do what I do. I just want you to understand so we understand each other. Because like most Sundays, I'm going to tell you, I mean, how it really is and what it really says. And I'm just telling you, ahead of time, this is one we all need. Like everyone is going to need this sermon. You know, sometimes people say after service, well, Pastor Phil, I wish so-and-so would have been here to hear that one today let me just tell you, you is that one today. I'm just telling you up front ahead of time, all right? It's going to get a little serious, a little somber here in a moment or two, because here's the reality. God's Word is for you. God is not against you. He wants you to succeed. He wants you to win. And this is why He's going to share so much about the tongue, because the tongue gets us in so much trouble, doesn't it? Look at verse 2, for we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. You say we have the power of the tongue to poison each other and bring destruction to one another as opposed to life to each other. And I want you to see the Proverbs. We're going to be in a lot of Proverbs today as we cross-reference back and forth. James, what I love about James, it's been called the Proverbs of the New Testament because it's so full of practical wisdom for real living. And it's like the Old Testament book of Proverbs. It's equally full of just practical wisdom for real living. Look at what it says in Proverbs twenty-one, twenty-three: Whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from troubles. How many of you know somebody whose tongue sometimes gets them in trouble? Anybody? Yeah, point to the person next to you right now. Go ahead, point to them, all right? Point to the person, because while they're pointing at you, somebody's pointing back at you, right? And let's say our tongue gets us in troubles, and a lot of the troubles we face is troubles with the tongue. And so understand this morning, as we talk about taming the tongue, the tongue is never the real issue. Listen carefully, for every human problem, the problem of the human being is a problem of the human heart. That's the number one problem. For every human person, for every human problem, it's always a problem of the human heart. It always begins within. And this is what Jesus taught. Jesus said that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You see, the reality is it's not the mouth, but rather the heart. The heart is the heart of the problem. A problem with the mouth begins with a problem of the human heart. This is why it says in Proverbs 4:23, guard your heart with all diligence for out of it flow the issues of life. The issue does not begin with the mouth. You can't guard your mouth if you're not first guarding your heart because what comes out here is simply a reflection of what is in here. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew 12, 34, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And this is why words matter, because your words are a reflection of something going on within. Proverbs 4.23 says, the wellspring of life is the heart, just like a well of water will be pure above the surface only if that well of water is pure below the surface. Listen carefully. When you speak words of depravity or profanity, it is revealing a heart inwardly full of profanity and depravity. Now, I can preach this message today with a clear conscience. You know why? Because I confessed openly last week that I still struggle with cussing. So I'm not going to preach in hypocrisy. That's why I, I kind of tell you, I'll let you in on a little bit of stuff once in a while. I'm just going to tell you, this in here, I still struggle with. I told you last week, I was out in the backyard and working and looking down and I was weed eating or spraying weeds is what I was doing and bam, out of nowhere I hit it and, and I'm just going to bam, there's that word, my go-to. I'm not telling you what my go-to is. Okay, Bam will be sufficient for the moment. All right, but here's the deal: I I never take the Lord's name in vain. I don't do that. But but I have a go-to word, like in that moment where you're not really thinking, not really planning what's going to come out of your mouth. You know what I'm saying? You you've been there too, yes. Okay. So so I've heard people say, well, Pastor Phil, it's 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 just words. It doesn't really matter. I mean, what is the big deal? I'll tell you what the big deal is, according what Jesus says. When your mouth is full of profanity, it's a reflection of a heart that's full of depravity. See, your mouth isn't the problem, the heart is the problem. I'm just telling you, this is what I go through in those moments, I say, God, will will you please forgive what I have said? But more than anything, will you cleanse my wicked heart within? See, see, what James is teaching, what Jesus is teaching is we need to quit talking out of two sides of our mouths. See, if we come to church and give God glory, when we've used profanity on Saturday, that's like the, a wellspring, a well of water giving both poisonous water, impure water, salt water, as well as pure water. He's saying, look, do you, your, your heart is the problem. If you're speaking out of both sides of your mouth, look inwardly. The problem is within. And this is why James goes on in verse 9, and he says, with it, we bless our God and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing, my brethren, these things ought not to be so. God, would you please forgive me? Help these things not to be so. He goes on, he says this in verse 11, does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. You see what he's saying? He's saying the, 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 the problem with talking out of both sides of your mouth is the issue of a divided heart. I mean, your heart is the problem. That's why Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so we're going to see James use three illustrations. Like a master professor, a great teacher, he's a great illustrator. We're going to see first the illustration of a horse's bit. Then we're going to see the illustration of a ship's rudder. And then we're going to see the illustration of a little flame that becomes a forest fire. Look at what it says. When God has your heart, he will bridle your mouth. It begins with the heart. When God has bridled your heart, he will naturally then begin to bridle your mouth. And here's the illustration that James says in verse 3. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. In other words, he's saying, look, a little five-ounce piece of metal has the power to control the direction of a thousand-pound animal. In the same way, that little muscle inside of your mouth has the power to completely change the direction of your entire life. Let me ask you, has God put a bit in your mouth? Do you let God control your mouth beginning with your heart? That's the question. Will you let God bridle you so that he will start to guide you? Now, I'm not a real horse person um, kind of a little bit of a wannabe, meaning I don't know a lot about horses, but we like to go riding once in a while as a family. And for years, they're on family vacation, wherever we were, we'd like to go on a trail ride. So I'm not a real horse guy, kind of a wannabe. So I know a real horse guy. He preached a couple of weeks ago, Chad Glover. Didn't he do an awesome job a couple of weeks ago preaching? I mean, fantastic, isn't it? And uh, he used the illustration, had a saddle up here, an old man had given him. And so I was talking to Chad about what James was teaching here. Now, horses in the ancient days were, uh, you know, they, they, were, they were just absolutely essential to life. And everybody knew about a horse. And even though, you know, we don't know a lot about a horse because, you know, a lot of us aren't farm girls and farm guys here. But, you know, Chad was teaching me, who is a horse guy, he said, there are two kinds of horses. You have hard mouth horses, you have soft mouth horses, and he said, a hard-mouthed horse will always pull against the bit. He, he'll always pull against the bridle. He's hard to control. He's hard to guide. He's hard to ride. He said, a soft-mouthed horse has a sensitive mouth, and you just barely have to hit the rein a little bit. And he, he turns easily because he has a sensitive mouth, a soft mouth. I started thinking about this. Wow, look at the illustration that James is using. If you got a hard mouth, you don't like for God to guide you. You don't like for God to control you. You know what? The problem with a hard mouth is not a hard mouth, you got a hard heart. Now, if you got a soft mouth, that means you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit. You're sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And the reason you got a soft mouth is because you got a soft heart, a heart that's soft before God, a heart that God can easily control because ultimately, you're the hard mouth Christian, you're a soft mouth Christian. Now again, I don't know a lot about this, but I do like to ride a little bit. So last summer, we were going on a trail ride up in the mountains of Montana, and I don't know why, I just pulled out my iPhone, started taking one of those impromptu videos, kind of catching the moment, and it it was really funny because our guide that was going to take us up in the mountains told us ahead of time, "Uh, I've I've got one horse that's really stubborn. I need your best rider on this horse. So McKay, my daughter, had wanted a horse for years growing up and could never... Make that dream come true. She begged for a horse for years, and finally, I just had to tell her, "Honey, I'm sorry, I can't make this dream come true." But we would try to give her a little fix by taking her riding, and she got lessons, so she was our best rider. Now she took a lot of, uh, well, let's just say, uh, a lot of teasing on this trail ride because I told her my most stubborn rider is on the most stubborn horse. So, <laughs> anyway, watch this. <laughs> is Mr. Tucker getting him some green stuff, and McKay over there is on the stubborn horse. They tell us, so we've got our stubborn rider on top of the stubborn <laughs> horse. <laughs> yeah, and then we got the real cowboy here, the real cowboy with his Nike shoes. And- the shorts, okay. And then we got our soccer player. We'll try to get everybody's picture at the same time. All right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It looks pretty good. Like... okay, so I'm going to lead on this one. So as you can see, we're not real horse people. We're definitely posers. Not very good at it. We're total wannabes. I mean, we don't look the part at all, right? We don't. But I noticed as I was on this trail ride, every time I looked back, sure enough, McKay's horse was trying to go its own way. I mean, all the other horses are going this way, and her horse is trying to go this way, and I would see her doing this with the reins, and guess what? She'd be doing this and yanking on it because it's a hard-mouthed horse, and guess what? The amazing thing is because she had control of the reins, and ultimately that horse had a bit in its mouth that little bit could control that horse, and wherever the bit went, the horse would follow. And you know, honestly, we've been through this, because we've been on all these kinds of horses. I mean, we've been on some trail rides where the horses were half broke, and you like take your life in your own hands to, you know, be on this ride, and we've been on some rides before where they're all just old sway backs, and like my feet are dragging the ground. I'm trying to help this horse along a little bit, because you're not sure it's going to make it all the way back, right? Well, in this case, it's just like the guy said. That was one stubborn horse. And the problem for God, honestly, is he's got some stubborn children. He's got some stubborn Christians with a hard mouth that doesn't like the bit. And the reason why is you got a hard heart. And it begins with letting God give you a soft heart so that you can have a soft mouth that can easily be bridled. And you see, when God has your heart, he'll begin to bridle your mouth. And when God has your heart, he'll also guide your words. He'll bridle your mouth. He begins to guide your words. And this is the next illustration that James uses. He uses this illustration of the rudder of a ship. It says in verse four, look also at ships Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Of course, in ancient days, a ship had no motor. It was purely wind-driven, and these gigantic ships that was driven purely by the wind was controlled by a little tiny rudder. And just like that little bitty rudder could control the direction of that huge ship or that little tiny bit can control the direction of a thousand pound animal, he's saying that is the power of this little member of your body, often forgotten, ultimately, that you hold inside of your mouth. He's saying like a bit in a horse's mouth or a rudder on a ship, your mouth, though small in size, has the power to control the direction of your entire life. That's how powerful your words are. That's how powerful that your mouth is. It can change the direction of your family, change the destination of your marriage. It can change the destiny, ultimately, of everything about you personally. And that's why it's crucial that we let God begin to bridle our mouth and begin to guide our words like the rudder of a ship. Now he goes on, there's another illustration. This is kind of the illustration of fire. He uses this idea of a flame of fire becoming a entire inferno, like a small flame can burn down an entire forest, watch this. Your tongue can kindle a fire that can burn down your marriage, your home, your reputation, your relationships, your church, and even your life. That's how serious this is. When you talk about fire, it's serious. He's saying when you talk about your words, it's serious. It has that type of potential to bring absolute destruction. He says these words now in verse five. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest, a little fire kindles. He says, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. Now, do you see what James is teaching? If you will not let God bridle your mouth, it will be bridled by Satan. If you will not let God put a bit in your mouth, it'll be Satan who put a bit in your mouth. Listen, the enemy wants to enlist your tongue on his team. You understand there's always two agendas, John 10 and verse 10. I've come to give you life, and you can have it more abundantly. That's what Jesus said. But there's a thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Speaking of Satan, your enemy, and he wants to use your tongue to bring destruction. He wants to use your tongue to bring about something that is stolen that God wants to give you, Satan wants to take from you. He's saying, listen very carefully, it is set on fire by hell. If heaven will not be what controls your mouth, it will, you see, be hell. And we ought to know exactly what he's talking about. If you're paying attention to the news right now, did you know that out west, hundreds of millions of acres of forests are burning? This is the worst fire season in all of American history. Hundreds of millions of acres California is having by far and away their worst fire season, their worst summer ever. Hundreds of people's homes have been destroyed. Dozens of lives have been lost. You know why? Just a little spark, just a little flame. Listen, sometimes it started by lightning, other times it started by somebody being careless with a campfire, somebody being careless with a match or a cigarette. All of a sudden, what begins is just a little spark is thousands and thousands of acres, even hundreds of thousands of acres. When we were back there uh, last year, we didn't know this going out west, but in August, they never see the sunshine. So we were on our trail ride and the guide was telling us about this. We thought it was just hazy, like you see a hazy day here in the Midwest. It wasn't hazy there. He said, it's not haze in the air, it's smoke. In the entire month of August, they never see the blue sky because all the fires is around. It's just part of living out west. But this year is by far and away the worst year. I just saw a news story a couple of weeks ago. These guys were camping in Glacier National Park and there were fires all around them. Now, they thought they were okay. The park rangers said, you're safe. And then the wind changed direction. All of a sudden, they weren't okay. They are trying to drive to safety. Can you imagine how terrifying that trip would have been through Glacier National Park? They're in the middle now of this inferno. Now, they made it out alive miraculously and barely. Can you imagine how absolutely terrifying? It's like driving through hell, Literally. And it all began with just a little spark. Now, I want you to see this is exactly what James is teaching about your words being a little flark, a little spark, a, just a little flame. Oh, I almost said flark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, wow, I just admitted a new word spark, flame, it's a flark. <laughs> just a little flark, and now it's a flame. And so it's just, just one little word, you just light a little flame. The next thing you know, it's entire forest fire. Your life is an inferno. You are burning down your home, burning down your marriage, burning down your family, burning down your church. The question is this, will you let God get your words or will they be set on fire by hell? Now, there's several ways Satan wants to enlist our mouths on his team. I'm convinced. Satan's a little fire starter. He likes starting fires. How does Satan take your words to start fires? Well, we could talk about a lot of things. I'm just going to talk about three things. First of all, sowing division in the body of Christ. The New Testament has so much to say about this. Sowing division within the church, sowing division within Christ's body. Look at what it says here in Romans 16:17. The Apostle Paul says, Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned, and avoid them. How many of you know anybody who's constantly stirring the pot? Don't point, all right? He's saying, look, there are people who just seem to always be in the middle of a complaint, a criticism, and fighting for their uh, you know, tradition or their opinion, and they wanna just use it to cause division. He's saying, listen, note them, make a middle note, and avoid them. You know why? Because their words are full of poison. And if you hang around them, they're going to poison you too. He's saying, so just make a mental note and just kind of avoid them. Don't hang around them because they're not good for you spiritually. They're poisoning you, honestly. And he says here, specifically, they have doctrine. In other words, people that have a pet doctrine and they make it their life's ambition that everybody else believes like them. And anybody that doesn't believe like them, well, you know, obviously they're a second class Christian and it's their job to fix them. All right? Now, here's what I want you to see. Listen very carefully. I'm about to say, when you became a Christian, you did not lose your right to your personal opinion. Everybody gets one. It's okay. But when you became a Christian, while you didn't lose your right to your personal opinion, you lose the right to use your opinion to bring division. All right? And so here's the reality, we need to remember some things as the body of Christ, because the body of Christ has been far too divided for far too long over things that don't really matter, secondary peripheral issues. All right, so there's some things we got to agree on. If we're going to follow Jesus together and work together and worship together, there's the historic tenets of the historic Christian faith. I mean the fundamentals, the absolute foundational things it means to be a Christian, all right? Biblical inerrancy, like the Bible is our final authority. How about uh, Christ's identity as the second person of the Trinity, that he really is deity, not merely humanity, that he died for our sin and delivered us from sin's penalty, that he rose from the dead bodily, that he's coming back to rule and reign eternally. Those are the things that make you a Christian. Those are the things on which we have to agree but did you know that most things are not essentials to the faith? They're just kind of in-house debates theologically that we can honestly disagree and still have unity. You see, we begin dividing over all these things that are silly. It's happened for 2,000 years now, still happens today. And that's why we like to say on essentials we have unity, on non-essentials we have liberty, meaning it's time for Christians to quit fighting each other over things that really don't matter, that things, honestly, won't make a difference in the forever. That doesn't mean we're not going to teach doctrine, all right? I'm just getting done doing a year's worth of study verse by verse through the book of Revelation. I love this stuff, all right? I'm a geek when it comes to theology. I love this stuff. I want to teach you the deep things of the word of God so you can grow deeper in your walk with God. We're not gonna avoid doctrinal issues. Uh, We're gonna teach doctrine, but here's the deal. You might have a different opinion. I'm not offended necessarily that you might disagree with something I say or something I believe. You get to do that. As long as you don't use your personal opinion to sow division. You see the difference? All right? There's in-house debates theologically. It's okay. And I'm going to tell you something else. I'm convinced there's healthy disagreement. Every disagreement does not have to become something of division. It's what we do with that disagreement that will define whether or not it becomes unhealthy, which becomes division and dissension. I like to say we're going to talk to each other, not about each other. That's what I tell our staff all the time. We're going to talk to each other, not about each other. Does that make sense? Then you can have a discussion. You have a discussion. It doesn't have to foster division. Ephesians 4.3 says this. It says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Uh, So what are you doing in times of maybe division or a difference of opinion to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace? You're either going to use your mouth in some way to bring greater division, or you're going to use your mouth in some way to quench that dissension. Now I'm telling you why this matters so much, because when the body of Christ doesn't walk in unity, we can no longer bring Jesus' glory, the name of Jesus' Becomes tarnished before a watching world before our city So I'll never forget the last time That I went to the barber shop (laughs) When you're a guy like me you remember those things It's kind of historic moment Go to your barber for the last time ever I still remember I went home that day and thought he did an awful job on my hair And I started trying to fix it. Then I looked closer at it, and I thought to myself, why am I still doing this? So I got out the clippers and ended it all. (laughs) Been happy ever since. That was 10 years ago. So, But the real reason, I'll still remember forever, my last trip to the barber. We had a conversation that day while I'm in the barber chair. I had no idea. I'd gone there for years and years, had no idea this guy went to the same church I did as I did when I was growing up. As a matter of fact, he was in the very same church service in the mid-80s I was in. I was 16 years of age, and I watched that day that church blow up. It split, and it was ugly, and it was nasty. Now, at the time, I'm 16. I'm just a bored kid in church. I didn't realize, honestly, how bad and ugly and horrible situation this really was. I was just, like, looking for the popcorn because I'd never seen this happen in church before, you know? I'm talking, I've never seen grown-ups behave so badly in all my life, much less Christians. And honestly, looking back, it doesn't matter which side was right, they were all wrong. And you know what my barber told me that day? Well, over 20 years later, he had never been back to church one day in his life. Well, over 20 years later, he'd never been back to any church, not just that church, but any church. You see, what he witnessed that day at church had so tarnished him, it had so poisoned his soul. I don't even know, honestly, if he's a Christian. I'm not sure that he's actually even born again. Here was a man that sat in church that day and watched the body of Christ divide instead of unify, and it forever changed the trajectory of his life. Do you understand the implication? And this is what is at stake when we allow division over pet doctrines and personal opinions and... Well, my religious tradition, listen, I've come to the place in life, honestly, where if you agree on the essentials of the faith, it doesn't matter to me what else you believe or what else you don't believe. If you love Jesus, you are not my enemy. And it's time to quit treating other Christians like they're the enemy because they disagree on some nuance of theology. I mean, this is an unprecedented time in American society where the church has got to stand up and come together instead of fussing and fighting over things that don't matter. So I'm just going to tell you up front, it ain't going to happen here. I mean, to the best of my ability, it ain't going to happen here. Because I'm telling you, I can go SWAT cop fast. (laughs) Pastor Phil, former SWAT cop. I mean, I can go back there if I have to. All right now I'm teasing you. But here's the point, guys. It's not just for me or the staff to do. Fighting for church health is a thing for everybody to do, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. All right? Here's what God says about it. It is so crucial, so important. Look at what he says in Proverbs 616. 6, there are seven sins that God calls an abomination. On this list of seven, three times he's going to list the tongue. These six things the Lord hates, just seven, are an abomination to him, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift and running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. Do you realize the implication? Uh, We don't see the list of the big sins I mean, we're not seeing a list here of pornography and infidelity and immorality and all the stuff we know as Christians. I mean, that's awful. No, no, no. No, these are the acceptable sins. A proud look. That's where it always begins. Pride in my heart. Now I'm full of personal ambition. I have an agenda. Even if it brings division. And he talks about a lying tongue, false witness, and they that sow discord among the brethren. And he puts sowing discord among the brethren in the same list as shedding innocent blood. Do you think we should take this seriously? When you sow discord in the body of Christ, you become, look at what it says in verse 16, an abomination before God. Wow. I think we better Listen. Now, there's a second thing, lying, slandering, or gossiping about others. Now, you know why I'm sharing this? There's a lot of things we could talk about, little fire starters we use with our mouth, and Satan employs our lips. But here's the deal. In the age of social media, this has become easier than ever because people will say things and post things about others that they would never have said if that other person was in their presence. So it's easy to sit in the safety of my living room behind the safety of my computer and say things honestly I would never dream of saying otherwise. Uh, Spreading gossip, spreading rumor, uh, slandering. What is slander? It's when you attack somebody's reputation behind their back and they're not even there to defend themselves. When you're trying to run down somebody else to make you look a little better. What is gossip? Gossip is where you hear something. Now, I can't really verify it, but this is what I heard. Why are you about to say that, and why does it matter, and why is it so important this person you're about to say it to needs to know that? See, this is wicked. It's sinful. Call it what it is. Look at what it says here in Proverbs 17 and verse 4. An evildoer gives heed to false lips. A liar listens eagerly to a spiteful tongue. You know what God is telling us here? It is just as sinful to listen to it, as it is to say it. If you're a person that it seems like people always seek out to run down somebody else behind their back, could it be the reason you're always the one being sought out for others to run someone else down is because they know you'll listen? And what God says here is you are just as responsible as the one who said it if you're willing to listen to it. And so what you do is you begin taking the fuel from the fire instead of putting fuel on the fire. This is the responsibility. I'm charging all of us here with accountability. We have shared accountability in the body of Christ. We need to hold each other accountable. Like, there's a time to look at somebody and say, hey man, I love you, but honestly, this is not an appropriate conversation for us to have. So how do you start to take the fuel off the fire? Look at what Proverbs twenty six twenty says, where there is no wood, the fire goes out. Take the wood away from the fire. It goes out. Uh, Where there is no tailbearer, that word in the Hebrew actually means whisperer. Where there is no whisper, strife ceases. There's always people who are stirring up strife. You know why? Whisper, whisper. Did you hear such and such? I heard such and such. Did you hear about such and such? I'm not sure about that. Did you understand that that is the the source of satanic strife and whispering about each other behind each other's backs? So this is what you do. You take the wood from the fire instead of putting fuel on the fire. Start saying things like this. Have you talked to such and such about this? Because if you haven't talked to them about this, you've got no reason to talk to me about this. Uh, Better yet, would you like me to go with you to talk to them about this? You're talking about taking the wood off the fire. This is what we, in the body of Christ, hold each other accountable. I'm trying to empower you because most of the time, honestly, I've just noticed when the bullets start flying, most people start ducking. You're just happy some bullets are getting shot somewhere else in somebody's direction that's not your direction. So you're just going to duck and say nothing when you ought to do something, lest somebody turn the gun and start shooting bullets at you too. No, I'm, I'm telling you, it's our responsibility take some bullets along the way. Stand up, say something, instead of doing nothing, hold people accountable in the body of Christ. You can do it lovingly, you can do it gently, but you can do it firmly. Let me just ask you this, before you say anything about anybody when their presence is not there, ask yourself, if they were here, would I still say what I'm about to say? And if you wouldn't say what you are about to say if they were here in your presence, that's probably a good sign. You shouldn't say what you were about to say. I mean, if you couldn't say it to them, but you're about to say it about them, it's a really good reminder. This is the Holy Spirit saying, don't say it. Guard your mouth. Let God get a hold of your heart. Because otherwise, you're about to commit what God calls an abomination, a deadly sin. Proverbs 26, 20. Don't be the whisperer and don't listen to it. Now there's a third thing, using your words as weapons. Guys, I'm gonna say this is the number one thing we do in relationships that cause relationships to erode and relationships to implode. In the heat of the moment, you say things that maybe you mean, maybe you don't, but you start using your words as weapons. I'm gonna tell you this is one of the number one things in marriages, the reason so many marriages are in duress is because of year after year after year after year. You have used your words to slash and burn. You've used your words to give death instead of life. I've said before, after 14 years of marriage, listen, 14 years of marriage, Krista and I, it wasn't all easy and it wasn't all peachy. Sometimes it was kinda of ugly. In 14 years, I'll tell you why, because we used our words as weapons too much of the time. When we would get angry or frustrated or exasperated, all of a sudden, you're using your words to take life from another. And what happens when you do that year after year after year after year? You've taken life from your marriage. Your words have the power of life and death. Now, something happened in year 14, and I've shared in times past, we had revival in our marriage, and all of a sudden, God came and God interceded, and we made the choice then that we We are not going to keep using our words for weapons against each other. And you know what? We're going to celebrate 27 years of marriage October the 5th. And I'm just being honest with you. Listen, it's never easy. I mean, not every day, not all the time, but I'm just telling you, it's easier. It gets a lot easier When you just decide you're going to let God start to guide your heart and bridle your mouth, and you're not going to use your words as missiles any longer to bring destruction, but rather words of life. Here's the deal, guys. If you're married to somebody that's ugly, there's a really good chance that's become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Because you didn't marry them because they was ugly. They became that way through years and years and years. The words you said, and now it's become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Do you wish your spouse was more lovable? Tell them how much you love them, even when they're not lovable, and they will become more lovable. Do you wish your spouse was more of a beautiful person? Listen, people who are told they're beautiful over and over again naturally become more beautiful. Your words become a self-fulfilling prophecy year after year after year after year, either a prophecy that will lead to destruction or a prophecy that will lead to a spouse that's more lovable and more beautiful than ever. You see, that is the nature of your words, the power of your words. Ephesians 4:29: "Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth." What if you just made the decision that you would never again let a corrupt word come out of your mouth? Do you know what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, "Every idle word that you have ever spoke will be called into account on the day of judgment, every idle word. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good and necessary for edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. So before you speak, ask yourself, is this good for the person I'm about to say it to? If there's nothing good in it, don't say it. Uh, Will it bring edification? What is edification? That means to be built up. Is what I'm about to say going to build them up or is it going to tear them down? Will it edify them and bring about edification or will it somehow bring about their destruction? Uh, Is what you're about to say going to impart grace to them? Grace is what gives life. And you see, your words have the power of death and life. A soft answer turns away wrath. A harsh word stirs up anger. I know in the heat of the moment, you're angry. They've hurt you. They've lobbed a missile at you, a verbal weapon against you, and it's landed hard, and it hurts. It's just really, really hard to keep being angry as somebody who just won't get angry. Just really hard to be mad at that person that just keeps loving you. Instead of lobbing a missile back at them and trying to outdo them, a soft answer turns away wrath. Baby, I am sorry. I love you. Will you please forgive me? Don't don't, don't justify what you did. It doesn't matter who's right or who's wrong. Not, Not at that moment. I'm sorry. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Fall on the sword. That's what Jesus did for us. He fell on the sword. It was called the cross. But while the cross brings death, ultimately what happens, there's life that comes after it. And that's what's going on here in Proverbs fifteen four. A wholesome tongue is the tree of life. You have the power to give life to another. You have the power to give death to another. Choose life. That's what's at stake here. Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. You have the power in your words to give death to your children. Or you have the power in your words to give life to your children. You have the power to bless them or curse them. You have the power in your words to define their destination. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. I was going to do this illustration live. I did a video because I couldn't do it live. I'm going to show you this video. I wanted to do it live. I couldn't do it live. The reason I couldn't do it live is there's fire codes. (laughs) And when I found out there was a fire code, honestly, I was irritated, (laughs) frustrated. What do you mean? My first thought was, seriously? And then I thought about it for a moment. Why is there a fire code? Because fire is serious. Seriously. We should take our word seriously. Let me ask you, do you take the word of God seriously? Watch this video, would you? Well, church, the Bible says in James 3 that the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. It has the power to burn down a forest fire. It has the power to burn down a marriage, a family, even a church. And the reality is Satan is always starting little fires in our life. He plants a little fire with our family, a little fire in our marriage, maybe a fire in our church, a fire in our community. What happens next depends on what you do with your word. You know what Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Our responsibility, first and foremost, wherever possible, is use our mouth to extinguish that flame. But some of us, honestly, we like to be the propellant. I've got a propellant here. It's a Axe Body Spray. kind of takes me back to when I had middle school boys in the house. But I've chosen this because, you know what? It's all about you. It's about you proving you're right. It's about you proving that what you say is true. And so consequently, Satan starts just a little fire, and you come along because so much of the time it's all about you, and you throw some... burning down our church, burning down your home, burning down your family. You see, it all begins with what you do with your mouth and first and foremost, what's going on in your heart. So are you glad I didn't do that live? I could have cinched your eyebrows, Tim, right here, man. (laughs) Hey, if it's all about you, you're going to use your words to benefit you. You're gonna use your words to win at all cost but if it's all about jesus i will promise it won't be about you instead of speaking death you're going to speak life let's be life givers let's speak life into our friends and family and those of us in the body of christ jesus i pray for every person here that god your gracious hand be upon us all the lord you would help us i pray to win in this area of our life to speak life and not death edification not destruction In the powerful name of Jesus, I pray, amen. What a great message. Thank you for being here this morning. Let's go out and speak life in our lives today. If uh, the Lord has spoken to you this morning, if the Holy Spirit has convicted you of things that you wanna get right with the Lord, we have some friends down here who love to talk with you and pray with you as you come before the Lord. Well, thank you for being here. We hope you enjoy the rest of this Labour weekend. And we hope to see you again next week. God bless you.